Hello and welcome to More Games Than Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And uh, we've got More Games Than Time. So we've been playing a, a bunch of board games, which we're going to talk about, as well as doing our now, now traditional exchange. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk to Christoph Rice um, to find out how board game retail has been suffering during lockdown. So, Roger, I've I've got news. I don't know if you knew this, but we've got a listener. Gosh. Yeah. What, what, who, who what are you doing? <laughs> where, where are you? Where, you? You can get help. Um, yeah, there was a, a thread on Board Game Geek recently, um, somebody asking about Ginkgopolis, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a tile-laying game that came out many years ago now and uh, and recently had a reprint. Um, in replying to that, I mentioned Small Islands, which is a game we've discussed well, in the last two episodes. Um, yep. Both of us have, have played it. Um, but since he wanted more feedback specifically on Ginkgopolis, I, I thought I'd provide some. Sounds um, good. Yeah, so I've been playing that the last month or so. Um, I've actually only managed about half a dozen plays of this so far. I'll mention both the games I'm going to talk about this week. I've only managed half a dozen plays of, which is fewer than fewer than what I'd normally like to before talking about them here. <laughs> um, but I I've really enjoyed my place. Um, it's uh, I think it's 2011 that it first came out. Uh, this is Xavier Georges. Yep. That's right, yeah, who's also the designer of uh, of Chua, I think. I always get Chua and Orléans confused. Uh, Chua and Black Angel, he, he's credited with Sébastien de yeah. Jardin and Alain Bois. And something fairly recently on, um, on Kickstarter as well, I think. Was it Stroganoff? Uh, Carnegie, that's, that's what he had on right, Kickstarter yeah. recently. So, yeah, it's um, the presentation is basic, as you might expect of a game of, of that age. Um, basic, functional... Very, very abstract. Um, I think, generally speaking, tile-laying city builders, which is what this is, are pretty abstract games anyway. Not not that you're stereotyped here. Not that I'm stereotyped in any way. Um, This is especially abstract. Um, Really, the mechanisms owe nothing to to theme at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be summed up by the fact that each... Tile, the uh, three tiles generate three different things in the game. One is points. Um, one is more tiles. Mm-hmm. And the third thing they generate is resources. And that's literally what they're called. It's mm-hmm. not population, power, <laughs> industry, anything else. It's just resources. Um, so I think, you know, that's a, a perfect illustration of just how thematic or, or rather not thematic the game is. Um, during the, a normal a normal game, um, you have a hand of cards. You can play cards to do one of three things on your turn, mm-hmm. um, which is either to expand the the city by placing a new tile adjacent to existing ones, um, or you can grow the city vertically by placing a tile on top of other tiles. Right. Um, and the third thing you can do is to play a card just to get tiles and resources. Um, if there's a one one of the cards that allows you to grow the city out sideways, you can play that just for a single um, tile or resource. Um, or the cards that will let you grow the tiles upwards that will let you grow the city, you can play one of them to get um, the total of. Say, if there's four tiles in that stack already, you get four times whatever that color is, either 
yeah. points, tiles or resources. Um, so I imagine that's sounding as, as abstract as it is. Uh, I, I will admit that my, my benchmark for tile-laying city-building games is suburbia. Um, well, this, this is far more abstract than suburbia, honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, suburbia, I think, is fairly abstract anyway, but you can see what they're trying to do with the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond, you know, a, a, a little, beyond, beyond pictures of cities on the tiles, that this, this is completely devoid of any theme at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could argue and, and argue fairly um, that the the core um, things you're trying to do of grow the tile area um, horizontally and vertically. You know that that reflects the you know that reflects urban growth, sure. but that's as far as it goes. And let's face it, an awful lot of games involve you want to make your thing bigger. Exactly, exactly. Um, so in the multiplayer game, um, you start off with, um, I think they're called character cards, and that will give you um, a certain number of um, starting tiles, resources, points, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, a power that you can use during the game. Um, you get more powers during the game every time that you grow one of those tower blocks and make them taller. Um, and th- this, is a, this is a drafting and hand-passing game, isn't it? Um, At least in the multiplayer. I think it... Yeah, I think so. I'm trying <laughs> to remember. I've only played... My half-dozen games have all been solo. I have watched some multiplayer online yeah. you know, th- playthroughs. Um, in the solo game, you don't have those starting cards. Um, instead, you just have a static... Um, you start with six points, six resources, and six tiles. That's mm-hmm. what you start with every every game. Um, so you don't have that starting bonus either, um, which right. may or may not give you a bit of um, strategy in the multiplayer games to what you want to aim for. I'm not really convinced it would. Um, and then uh, there's a around the outside of the the starting city, for want of a better word, which is three tiles by three, nine nine tiles in total. Yeah. Um, you lay out letters of the alphabet A to K. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, the, those are, uh, in the multiplayer game as well, that's the same setup. Um, and those are the, the letters as how you grow the city outwards. In the solo game, you have a hand of three cards every round. You choose one to play, discard the other two. Um, and then there's another one that you deal face down. And once you've taken your turn, you resolve the AI's turn by simply turning that card over. Mm. And it will always grow the city either up or out. It never just plays the card for, for resources. Sure. Um, tends to to score a lot of points. Um, it is random. It doesn't suffer the same penalties that um, a human opponent does. Um, so when you're growing the city in the multiplayer game, um, you have to give up points for for playing a card of a lower number, a tile rather of a lower number than the tile it's replacing. Yeah. Um, and you also have to play one extra resource if you want to change the color of that tile stack. So presum- um, presumably the randomness makes up for it not having to pay those costs more or less. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it can be frustrating when you're trying to build <laughs> up. It's a, it's, a, it's an area majority scoring at the end, mm-hmm. or an area control scoring, I should say. Um, so it can be frustrating if you're trying to build up a nice blue area and then suddenly it goes and flips one in the middle to red and <laughs> that yeah. changes your scoring opportunities. Um, but, yeah, 
although it may make less sense, you, know, you might not see that coming as you would in a multiplayer game. That's, that's exactly the same kind of frustration that you would. Sure. Um, and more often than not, it does annoy me and get in my way, which is possibly what a, an, an AI should be doing in those instances. Yeah. I mean, g- given that what you don't really want to do is, is just say play multi-handed because that it, it's difficult to say, okay, I'm not going to forget what cards the exactly. other player has or whatever. And exactly. So it's, it's going to be a bit random, but as, as long yeah. as it produces obstructions. Yeah, which then, it does. I think that's. Which it does. I think it does a good job of it. It's, you know, it's 30, 40, 30 to 45 minutes to set up and play. Super abstract. Um, but still quite fun and enjoyable 10 years after it first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see they've got an implementation on Boitage, which is a French online gaming site. You don't need that's, to speak French to play. That's good for people to know. <laughs> Is that is that a, a free battle? I think it is. Uh, it? Yeah, I think you you could. They will take money if you want to give it to them, but but it, you don't have to subscribe or anything. You just need need a user account. Okay, that's a good um, try before you buy option for people that like to do that. Then mm-hmm. that's certainly been, especially in the last year. Obviously, I've, I've been. I've, I always try to play a game before I buy it, and that's that's been my play a game option for for anything multiplayer. So that was Ginkgopolis. And I've been playing Flamme Rouge, which is, I suppose, my modern gaming standards also a few years old. It first came out in 2016. <laughs> Doesn't time fly? Yeah. Um, I, I only got into it a couple of years later, but I've been playing it quite a lot since then. And so this is basically a fairly abstract sort of bicycle racing game. And yes, yes, it's another racing game, and I'm getting stereotyped too. Um, <laughs> so you, you've got two riders, uh, your ruler and your sprinter. Uh, so the ruler is the all-rounder. The sprinter has less overall endurance, but can can give mm-hmm. you a burst of really fast riding. And every ruler has the same fifteen-card deck as every other ruler. So yep. three each of three to seven, and the the same for the sprinters, though it's a different deck. Um, so in theory, this should this should be far too simple. <laughs> um, and then it, then it starts to confound you. Uh, so e- each turn and, and turns of simultaneous rule players, you, you draw four cards for one of your riders. Uh, yep. you choose one, commit to playing it. And then with that locked in, uh, you discard the others and do the same for the other riders. So you, you may plan teamwork, but you can't be sure of what the other guy's going to be able to do when, when you lock in the first half. Yeah. So that starts confounding. Um, the cards you play don't come back for the rest of the game. Then once everybody's done that, um, everybody moves, and th- this is, this is pretty much deterministic. If if you play a six, you're going to move six spaces forward. If yeah. there's room for you to to arrive in, uh, the track's two spaces wide, and if there are already two two riders in that space, then you come up short. So you can't overtake through them if you're going further. Mm-hmm. And the real so that that's half that's half of why you're why you're going to run out of energy before the end of the race. Uh, yeah. The other half is slipstreaming. Uh, if there is just one space between you and the rider in front, then you you move forward a space free, mm-hmm. and anybody else in the same block also moves forward with you. If there's a bigger yeah. space, or or you're in the lead, you get an exhaustion card, which is basically worth just two points of movement, but it goes into your discard pile. And when you run out of draw deck, you'll shuffle the discard pile. And I, I know it. those cards well. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that, that is the core of the game and that, that is enough to play a basic game. And then, then you get, you know, hills and cobbles and weather and mm. all the rest of it. But it's, 
All right, it's, it's the thing I've said before. This is one of the first games that caused me to realise it. Uh, you can both look at it as a race game, where, you, where your movement's a bit random, or you mm. can look at it as a card game with a complicated scoring track. Um, yeah. And bo- both halves of it are interesting and, the, and quite separate in some ways. And I, I like that kind of dual view in the game. I suppose that depends on um, on the t- kind of person you are and how thematic your, your brain works. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I, I'm not particularly a, a fan of uh, bicycle racing in the real world. Uh, mm. I, I know players who are. You, so you surprised me, Roger. You look like somebody that would be out <laughs> every day covering the miles. And the, the, this gets actually quite political. I, I am much more. <laughs> uh, I, I think the term is utility cyclist. Uh, I, I, I would. I'm quite happy to get on my bike to go to the shops or something of that sort. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not a racer. I don't want to pretend to be a racer. I don't want a racing bicycle. So, I, so you, don't get, you don't dress up in the lycra when you go to no. the shops? <laughs> no, I wear a tilly hat. <laughs> Keeps the sun and rain out of my eyes. I, so my works. partner would be proud of you. <laughs> um, so you, though, it, it is normally a multiplayer game, though with one of the expansions you, you get uh, it's sewable with the bot teams. Is that uh, the... Is that the Meteo expansion, or is that a different one? That, no, Peloton is, is the one that has that. Peloton. Uh, that's the one that brings it up potentially to six players, but also gives you mm-hmm. the, the bot team cards. And right. they they basically play cards at random, but they have special cards that are added to their decks. And so one, one of them will... They, they will they will always move both riders the same amount. You only use one deck for both riders, that kind of thing. Right. So although it's random, they have slight advantages, and you, you have some exhaustion cards as well to, to balance mm-hmm. it out. Okay. Then it's. I mean, it, it works pretty well as a solo opponent. I've played it a few times. I, I've actually set it up. It has. It has many a lot of fans. I know that. It. Has um, a lot of fans, but then I guess there's um, limited. Well, as we've discussed in the past, is you know there are a very limited number of racing games with with the solo option. So yeah, um, several times at conventions, I've uh, you know, been between games. I just set, set it up because I thought I'd give it a try, and somebody else has come along and said, "Hey, do you want? Uh, sh- shall we have a game?" So. Mm-hmm. That, that works too. Um, the thing that makes them less than ideal, as far as I'm concerned, is they're not really intended for use in multiplayer. I mean, you can, but they're not very effective. They, they are a solo opponent. You, you can race against right, okay. as many other teams as you like. But yeah, so you, you can't just bung it in with, um, you know, if you're playing with one other person, you couldn't have it as a third person, opponent as an AI. You can. It just doesn't work quite as well. Right. Um, the reason I've been playing it uh, is because I've, I've been running various play-by-forum games on mm. Discussion to Kaylee Lee, and it's a really good game for that, because right. in, in a, uh, the, the thing that kills play-by-forum games for me is pacing. Mm. And, you know, downtime is a problem in a lot of games, and if, if you've got, you know, five other players taking their turns and maybe taking a few hours or being in a different time zone or being asleep or whatever, then, then it, yeah. it can get really slow. But in this, all the players simultaneous, and mm-hmm. the, the the loop of one turn is produce the board. The players decide what they're going to do. Uh, they send me the, the cards they're going to play. When they're all in, yeah. I, I run them and produce the board again. So there's, so there's just that one round trip. So mm-hmm. e- even with people not trying particularly hard, we sometimes had two or three turns in a day, uh, just as right. people tr- casually drop in. So that worked pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, and I, I've I've uh, written and released software which automates large parts of the game, which makes life much easier. 
well, well done you. That sounds like another <laughs> another classic Roger project. <laughs> it, it doesn't support the bot teams yet, but it probably right. will soon. Okay. Um, and it, it's... Well, I, I think the term is probably emergent complexity. The the rules are quite simple. Even yeah. okay, coding up the slipstreaming was, was was a bit of a challenge. But basically, <laughs> in in terms of what you do at the table, the rules are pretty simple. You, you mm-hmm. choose a card, you move in accordance with the card. Mm-hmm. Things happen. Um, but I don't think anybody's going to say they've solved this anytime soon. There are certainly people who are better players than others. Mm-hmm. There are things you can learn to do and not do. Um, but I don't think there's a, there's a single best strategy or you know, something you could code up as you know always play your highest card or always play your lowest card or whatever. I mean, it's funny you say that. I mean, I've played Flamme Rouge twice, I think, um, both six players and both times with you. Once uh, Aircon, <laughs> um, and once I think at one of the One PG get-togethers. Yeah. And the first time I remember. Um, Somebody, it might have been Gary, said, oh, no, you, you, last time I played this, um, some, uh, I played it with somebody and they, they just played the highest card every time. And I kept saying, you can't do that, you'll lose. And they won and it was really annoying. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I started off with my, uh, my ruler ended up starting in pole position. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be tactical here. I'm going to put him out in front and try to get the sprint, the sprinter up, slipstreaming him effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, pounce towards the end sure as it turned out i managed to just play the highest card in my hand every turn <laughs> for the ruler and won with him leading from the front the whole way yeah so that can definitely happen it, yes sometimes it does happen uh, and I, I think that the second game i tried doing that and finished second so it doesn't always work <laughs> I, I don't think it's a dominant strategy uh one one of the things i'm planning to do uh once i've got the bot teams coded up in this is just basically run all bot games mm. Uh, so I might have, you know, five official bots and one plays like a normal player, but always plays its highest card or always plays its lowest or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and just see how that goes and see see if there is a, a simple thing. And you know, is there? Well, something I mean, there's, there's definitely it? optimal timing, isn't there? If you can play, if you know, if you can play an exhaustion card or a low card um, whilst you're blocking everybody else, then that's the time to do it. And then you've still got the higher cards in your deck. Sure. Um, and, and one of the things I didn't mention, of course, is, is uh, on hills, uh, whatever mm. card you play, you can't go faster than five. Yeah. So it's a waste to play anything higher and th- things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it seems to work. I agree more often than it should. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the other hand, I, I have seen people play highest card and do horribly badly because they just built up exhaustion in the first half and then they well, I mean, that's, had too much exhaustion at the end. So, yeah, that, that's the the thing of it, isn't it? I mean, that game, I think I was lucky um, that I never... It, I say I was able to... The uphill sections that were narrow and I was blocking people in, I was able to play low cards then anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of memory from like, you know, three years or so ago now, whatever it sure. was. Um, but the other thing i had was that even when my deck was basically full of exhaustion cards i never had a hand that was all exhaustion cards i don't think Mm -hmm. and that's just the luck of card draw yeah one of the optimizations i've done for for the software is if your hand is just twos and x's then rather than wait for the player it just says okay i'm going to assume you're playing x because there's no reason you wouldn't yeah 
Yeah. And uh, quite, quite often, uh, in, in the last two or three turns of a game, that, that's what's going on. Particularly if you, the, the, the better players have finished and then you've got four or five players right at, or riders right at the back mm-hmm. who have used all their cards or they've got one really good card left and it to stick, it just refuses to come out between all the exhaustions. <laughs> so. <laughs> so where can people find your bot if they're interested in it? Um, well, I'm, I'm running games with it on Discussion to Kaylee Lee, and I've uh, released the source code on the GitHub site, um, right. which I'll put in the show notes. Okay. So, any, yeah. yeah, anybody else is entirely welcome to, to take this and run their own games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm running on BGG as well at the moment. Uh, six, six race tours seem to be the right, about the right length. Uh, so, yeah, by Asgard Harding Granerud, who's... who's uh, Designs I don't otherwise know. I, I admit I bought Bloomtown largely on the basis of how much I enjoyed Flamme Rouge. Mm-hmm. And I have since sold Bloomtown. I mean, it's not a bad game, but it's it's not really for me. Yeah. Um, there, there are persistent rumours of a Grand Tour expansion. It was first going to come out three years ago. Mm-hmm. They're now saying maybe a Kickstarter, maybe this year. We'll We'll see. But uh, what what there is, 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 is pretty solid as a game right now. Just about Good. fits in the cool game box. Well, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, maybe they'll come out with the, the big box edition or something. <laughs> I think, yeah, there's yeah, always a danger thing. when certain games have far more expansions than they need. Yeah, I, th- I think that may be part of it. And th- there are unofficial Grand Tour rules. The, the, the basics are you finish the game, you have some number of exhaustion cards you still have floating around, you get rid mm-hmm. of half of them and you keep the other half, uh, for your next race. Right, and, and that that just links one race to the next. I, I mean, just to sort of wrap this up, I suppose. Um, I know you know we, we touched on you need peloton for solo and for six players. Mm-hmm. Um, how how would you rank all the various expansions, and you know which ones are better? Or well, the the only other expansion is Meteo. Yeah, uh, and that that is basically weather rules. Mm-hmm. And mo- most of the weather rules are quite simple. Uh, but basically, you, 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 once you've laid out the course, you, you draw tokens and randomly assign. Uh, you, you might end up with, with no unusual weather at all, but you get uh, a tailwind, means you have a five-card hand yeah. for riders who start on it. Uh, headwind means you only have a three-card hand. Crosswind means no slipstreaming. Uh, and the fun one is rain. Uh, mm-hmm. Which basically, if you have to stop short because you would end up in a in a space that's already full, then you skid and fall over. <laughs> uh, that sounds like me riding a bike. And at that point, uh, people can't slipstream past you. If two people skid and fall over, then they can block the entire road and nobody can get past them. And when you start again in the next turn, you move two spaces fewer than whatever card mm-hmm. you played. So that's the kind of expansion that um, sounds like it's. Something that's sort of good and adding variety for experienced players, but not essential. Is that fair? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I like it, but yeah. Apart from anything else, it, it does make things fairly random. Of course, everybody's racing on the same course. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would say the the core game is entirely playable on its own, as long as you don't need five or six players, or indeed yeah. one. <laughs> um, but you know that 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 gives you uh, climbs and descents, and that that's a good start. Uh, Peloton ha- is is the big rules expansion. That that's the extra players, but it also has uh, cobblestones, which are supp- uh, narrow, narrow and hard to overtake on, mm-hmm. and supply zones, which are wide and let let you catch your breath a bit. 
Okay. I feel, I feel like Cobblestones ought to introduce a, a sore ass card into your hands. I think that's just assumed in races of this length. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I should say um, the presentation is quite nice. The, the very early editions were quite hard to read uh, because they basically just had the, the sprinter and ruler S and R moulded into the back of the rider. Um, right. But after the second printing, I think they uh, start, started actually putting ink on those so you can see which is which. Right, okay. Without having to remember which is the one who's bent over and which is the one who's, sit- who's sitting upright. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but the track is, um, I can't remember what, what they call it, but basically you, you jigsaw the pieces together to make the track for the mm-hmm. race. And that, that, that do- really does grab people in. It's visually very attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a skeletrics type thing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, uh, Flamme Rouge. Very good. Um, you might be surprised to hear this. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised to be saying it, but for the second month in a row, I'm going to be talking about a deck builder. <laughs> I've been playing Heroes of Tenefir. Mm-hmm. Which have, have you heard of Heroes of Tenefir? Uh, I, I looked it up when, when you mentioned it. Okay, uh, it's by um, Pepin van Loon. Uh, seems to be his only design. Came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, came out a couple of years ago. I remember playing. Um, playing a demo of it at UKGE one year before it was even on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, came out around about the same time as Heroes of Terranoth, which I always thought was unfortunate timing. Yeah. Um, both of them are, are card games, um, as, as you probably guessed. Um, so Heroes of Tenefir is... Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that it's Friday the, Fantas- the, Friday the Dungeon Crawler. Okay. If you're familiar with Friday. <laughs> We're all doomed. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Heroes of Tenefer is actually, um, it's, uh, unlike Friday, it's not just a solo game. It's one to four player co-op. Mm-hmm. The core gameplay is, is basically the same. Um, you've got a, a challenge deck um, that you're going to be fighting against. And when you overcome that card... Um, it flips through 180 degrees, turns to 180 degrees, mm-hmm. and becomes a card in your deck. Right. So you're building your deck by um, defeating opponents. Um, the co-op game is uh, is fairly straightforward. You each have your starting hero. Um, you know the barbarian, the cleric, all of those types of um, sure. Yeah, you know, uh, stereotypes. Um, they each have a, a special ability, which um, is, is something that kind of reflects their character, but also s- sort of plays around with the edges of the things you want to be doing in deck building. So mm-hmm. um, the Barbarian um, increases your, your card draw, so you're getting in more hits effectively. Um, the Cleric helps you recycle cards from your discard pile back into your draw deck. Um, so you're know, sort of a healing function. So th- those are the, yeah. let's say the, the, the way that those heroes work. Um, they each start off with one card that's unique to them, um, that goes into your starting deck. Um, so, so it's, it's a unique player twist on something, but most of the stuff is going to be the same from one yeah, hero to another. So it, the other things that go into your starting deck are basic, um, zero or one hit cards effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the enemies that you defeat, some of them are generic. All of them are usable by all heroes. Um, but 
some of them will also have a, a more powerful effect if it goes into the deck of the hero that is of that type. And presumably if you're playing multiplayer, you can try to shade that towards the right person getting it? or You can try. So <laughs> you go around in player order, um, you draw up a hand of three cards, and you can either choose to play those three cards, or effectively you've got one mulligan to say, right, I don't like that hand, I'm going to drop another three, and the second hand of three you've got to play. Mm. Okay? The player that defeats the enemy you're fighting takes that card into their discard pile. Right. Defeats as in... As in plays the hand of cards that hits the... Um, so e- e- each enemy that you're fighting has got uh, a number of hit points you've got to score against it to defeat it. So it's basically do the last hit of damage sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. Right. And that um, that number of hit points you've got to do varies depending on player count. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mention Solo. Solo, you control two heroes, um, but you don't have two hands of cards. Okay. So you have the same number of cards. So whereas I said multiplayer game, you have um, a starting deck, I think, of six plus your one um, hero-specific card. In a solo game, you have um, a, hand of, a deck of 12 cards plus two hero-specific cards. And they're all shuffled up. And on your turn, you will play two hands, but you've just got the one draw deck and the one discard pile. And presumably things that benefit either hero will be of benefit to you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a little, it's, it's basically a streamlined way of doing it that you're not having to control two hands of cards or, mm-hmm. you know, two draw piles, two discard piles and everything, which is, you know, it's a nice touch. I think that they thought to put that in there that way. Um, there's a, a quick version and a long version of the game. Um, the long version, I think you, there's, uh, there's 10, um, dungeons you can go through. Um, mm-hmm. each dungeon consists of four enemies, the top one of which is faced up. Right. Um, so you can choose which one you go to. There are five difficulties of dungeon, so two of each difficulty level. Sure. And presumably, as as you're defeating the enemies, you're adding those to your hands, you're getting more powerful by... You're adding them to your discard pile, Sorry, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, if you manage to defeat all four of those enemies in a particular dungeon, um, then you've got a, a little map card, basically. Um, so you'll move one spot closer towards the end game, mm-hmm. and you'll also trigger a reward... Um, which is often removing cards from your um, from your draw pile, so that's sort of really feeding into the deck building aspect of that Get, helping you spin your deck your, out. Your rubbish starting cards, exactly. Kind of thing, yeah. Um, if you def- if you don't if you get defeated, so you can choose to leave the dungeon early, but if you get defeated, you get kicked along two tracks, two steps on this track instead of the one. So it brings the boss fight closer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have the, the 10 dungeons. There is also an additional boss fight in the long game. In the, the short game, um, you play without the boss fight. The, the level 5 dungeon becomes, in effect, the boss fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always move two steps instead of one when you're victorious. So you'd move four steps, effectively, in a, if you were defeated. Yeah. Um, and it tries to make up for having fewer dungeons by just giving you more cards, effectively, as if you'd been to the dungeon and won some battles. Sure. I actually think that that could be more difficult. I'm not sure. Um, because you're getting fewer opportunities to cull cards from your deck. It's just building your deck. Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen so, some short game 
rules in, in other games where they basically say, okay, so you know, you, you start at a sort of nominal turn 10, as it might be, mm. and you get this, and quite often an experienced player will say, yeah, but at my turn 10 in a long game, I'm way better than that. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um I mean, overall, I think it's uh, I think it's a well done, well done game. Um, so, so remarkably... would you say it's basically a, pu- a push your luck component to that? In, in that, you know, you're getting towards the end of a dungeon, you're starting to, starting to run out of resources. You know, do, yeah, do, do you bail uh, I mean, out there's a or... push your luck component. There's, um, I don't know, what to say card counting, but there's obviously an aspect that you know what's in your deck and what you've seen and what you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the level of dungeon you're in, you've got some idea how difficult your opponent's going to be and what sort of hit points you need to defeat them. Sure. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, there's a push-your-luck element, but but you've, you're not sort of completely... You're not going to be completely surprised to think, oh, I thought I was going to defeat this easily, and actually, I, you know, I stand <clears> no chance. So, so most of the time, would you say you push through to the end rather than bailing out, or...? Yes, um, which probably isn't optimal. I, I've won one game so far. <laughs> Um, the one, the demo I had back at UKG is the only multiplayer game I've had. And I'm not sure, to say that was before the Kickstarter campaign. I'm not sure if things were tightened up a little bit since then. I've got the impression one or two rules have been tweaked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember being a bit frustrated then that maybe the starting player didn't turn then. Maybe that's the tweak that's happened. I think possibly that's what's changed. Because I remember then, it seemed like the same guy kept getting all the cards by defeating the final monster every time. Mm. Which was obviously a bit frustrating for the rest of us, or certainly for me. Yeah, that, that, that is a problem I've come across in other games, or at least heard people complaining about, in, in that, yeah, if, if the last hit point matters, then. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the one who does more damage in a single block, for example, is more likely to get it. But. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that I, I think they've tweaked the rules since then because looking at the multiplayer rules now, the the starting player changes each turn, mm-hmm. um, so that should avoid that happening. Um, and there are, I should, you know, I'll add as well that there are um, cards with the abil- with abilities that you can move cards between different discard piles, so you can try and get them to the right person that's going to help them most. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there is there's decent amount of stuff going on. There's decent amount of stuff to think about. Um, it's. Uh, it's a Carcassonne size box, which surprised me as an unusual mm-hmm. choice for a deck builder. Yeah, um, but but there's plenty of room for for the cards that are there at the moment. There's plenty of room, I suspect, also for the expansion, which um, went to Kickstarter a year or two ago, is due out shortly in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a relatively cheap game. It's twenty quid. Yeah, which is, and um, you you've, you're getting reasonable number of plays out of it, and. Yeah, not 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 running out of uh, variation. Yes, I think. No, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm not the world's biggest deck builder fan, but I've been enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it you know I, I know I said it's um, Friday the Dungeon Crawler, and you know I, I've explained why I think it's that it shares a lot of functionality, um, but it does it feels more thematic to me for some reason. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I always, always felt find... like I was doing maths homework. I haven't had that feeling with this. Yeah, the feeling I get on that is I don't have enough stuff, and now you're taking away my stuff. But I may just be playing it very badly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been good fun. It's, I'll, I'll say as well, it's got a gorgeous piece of sort of um, fancy flight style artwork mm-hmm. um, on the box cover, um, 
which is somewhat different to the art in the game, which is far more cartoonish <laughs> and basic, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I've, I've seen, yeah, I've seen price, some uh, com- composite pictures of, of uh, people showing it off and, and say, yeah, here is this lovely cover and that, that we've, we've plastered this, um, Lady waving an axe around on the on the front of it, and yeah, they're quite, yeah. quite different art styles. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a bit. I don't know why they've done that. It's a bit disjointed, but there we go. Um, so that's Heroes of Tenafir. And <sighs> all right, this, this is. <laughs> it, I, I, I'm not embarrassed about this. I mean, I chose this game to talk but about. It, it kind of sounds like you are so far, but it's. Uh, we we talk about uh, we talk a lot about elegance in game design and you know clean mechanics and so on and mm. this is a game that really isn't those things. Uh, it is a touch of evil from two thousand and eight, <laughs> uh, designed by Jason C. Hill. Yeah, and yeah, I mean it, it is unashamedly a trash. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm trying to remember if I've um, if I've played it or not. I know I've played some of um, what was it Flying Frog? Flying Frog. Yeah, they they yeah, have a very I've distinctive art their, style. Yeah, uh, that other sort of. As but, you say, photographs of the of the of the company people dressed up. Yeah, I, I think um, they, I think they do employ some models as well. Yeah, uh, there, the other ones that that I've looked at are Last Night on Earth, Zombie Survival, which I have played, and um, uh, Fortune and Glory. the Indiana Jones one, Fortune and Glory. I've played that as well. Um, I'm trying to remember if I played Touch of Evil or not. I'm honestly not sure. Uh, so it, it's you know early 19th century. Um, the legend of Sleepy Hollow is obviously an inspiration mm-hmm. for this sort of thing, but yeah, there, there is the village, there is a villain, you're trying to do something about it. Uh, and it, it, they assume you're going to be in, in competitive mode. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're each individual hero trying to do something about this. You, you may make brief alliances, but essentially you are trying to win. So much like Fortune and Glory in that respect. Yeah, but but like that, uh, they they do offer a cooperative mode where uh, the the uh, villain gets tougher. Mm-hmm. And um, all right, I, I I like co-op games in general, but I think I think particularly here it makes thematic sense. I and mean, you 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 might well boast about how you 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 did a better job than that other guy, but yeah. to me at least, I, I would rather the other guy get the glory uh, yeah. than the whole town fall to evil. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's been several games like that over the year where thematically they just seem better suited to to be in co-ops, to my mind. Um, I mean, a very different kind of game, but CO2 by mm-hmm. Peter Lacerda, that was one that made no sense to me as uh, as the semi-co-op that it was the first time around before the second edition. Yeah. Um, why, why I'd want to, or, or be unhappy because somebody else managed to save the world from global warming, I don't know. <laughs> you didn't get the money. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's, you, you take turns, you, you roll a d6 for your movement, you, you have, you make skill tests, you have dice pools for success. It, it starts to look awfully like Mansions of Madness, which came out a few years later in, in terms of the core mechanics. I'm, I'm sure they were mm. inspired by it. Uh, yeah, when, when you run out of wounds because you've got beaten up too much, you lose d6 stuff. <laughs> not, not just one or two or seven. Uh, yeah. but it works because yeah, I, I, I'm not going to claim it's mechanically elegant, but it generates micro stories, mm-hmm. uh, like Firefly, which is an, another uh, Ameritrash game that I love. Yeah. Why did this particular thing succeed or fail? How? Why is it that I ended up with this and that and the other thing attached to my character? Uh, have, so you, have you been playing it with other people, or have you been playing it solo? Uh, I've been playing it with other people. Uh, this was yeah. a play by forum game. Right. Um, 
I, I just wanted to ask because my my experience of um, the sort of the super random, super chaotic, super Ameritrash games, where as you say, there's a lot of d6 and you could win or fail spectacularly on any role, despite what your intentions were. Mm-hmm. Um, in the social context, they can be great fun because you're sharing those emotions, the successes and failures together. Yeah. Um, as a solo player, I find it incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, I, I've, well, I, I am a role playing gamer as well as a board gamer and mm. the, it feels a lot like it, like a lightweight RPG. I, I hear people talking about solo RPGs and this normally doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, you know, well, for example, here is a ton of who we were just talking about you could describe as that, yeah. I think. You know, you're, you're going down a dungeon bashing things, but um, it, it depends how big your imagination is. I think. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it's the same here. And the, the, there is a strand of role playing gaming which basically says the game mechanics will tell you who won this particular conflict, and you can mm-hmm. then narrate what happened. And, th- and this is similar to that. So, um, I, I've I've got a game in progress on tabletop simulator at the moment with with some friends I don't see very often. And in in that, well, one of the players was ambushed by a random vampiric minion and lost the fight. Um, yeah, that doesn't say anything particular. But in, in terms of the game's world, you know, oh yes, the, the the monster hunter ran into the succubus out at the covered bridge and came back to town next morning with his clothes torn, looking very shamefaced. So we, we better not ask him too many questions about that. It, it's that sort of small, silly yeah. thing. Uh, I haven't tried it solo uh, in part because it's quite difficult to get hold of. Um, as a physical game, well, the, the the core game and most of the expansions are not too hard, but there there was one expansion in particular that doesn't seem mm-hmm. to exist in the UK at all. So <laughs> that that will take a while. There, there is a good tabletop simulator mod if you if you don't mind that. So right, yeah. If I were competing, I would be saying, yeah, it, it, there's too much luck. I don't, I don't feel happy about this. And again, the, yeah. the luck becomes less annoying because we all suffered because that bad thing happened. Yeah. Um, I, I will definitely try it solo, uh, and, and see how mm-hmm. that comes out. Uh, so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, say, whether, you know, how you feel about that, whether the story's still coming through, whether you're still enjoying the successes and failures in the same way, or whether they just get annoying. Yeah, I, I think what, if, if this game were a pet, it would be a large slobbery dog who really hasn't learned about staying off the furniture, <laughs> but is a really nice dog anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, fancy, the, the, fancy, flying frog, um, games, you know, they, they, they've got their fans and I, I understand why, um, they're a bit anachronistic in today's mm-hmm. board game market. Yeah, well, yeah, th- this is 2008, uh, Fortune and Glory is 2011. They have brought out more stuff since, but the, mm. the core game design is, is venerable by board game standards. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they, you know, they stick to, stick to what they're doing, they keep producing the, <laughs> the photos of people dressed up instead of actual art. <laughs> you've, you've got to admire that kind of um, obstinacy. I don't know. <laughs> there, there's a sen- there's a sense of fun there, and yeah. it would be lovely if it had elegant mechanics as well. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure it would be possible to have a game that did both. But it, it's I'm enjoying it in spite in spite of that, and it's in spite of the yes, I can see the problem here. <laughs> and it's perhaps not the sort of thing we generally talk about, but uh, this, uh, and doubtless we will come to Firefly at some point. Um, I'd be very surprised if you if you don't bring that up in a future podcast. <laughs> so that's a touch of evil.
So, uh, after last time, uh, as has become our habit, we exchanged a couple of games. And what what did you uh, think of automobiles? Well, I'll say off the bat, this is the first bag builder I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a moment play, playing it that I thought, is this just a gimmick? Functionally, <laughs> it's exactly the same as a deck builder. And I, I, I guess the reason that it's a, a bag builder um, as opposed to a deck builder is so that you can place those cubes out on the board to um, you know, effectively map your, your move before you make it. Uh, partly it's that. Partly it's so that you can assign different powers to the coloured cubes depending on the game mm-hmm. setup, I think. Without yeah, yeah, I cards. suppose. Yeah, I, yeah, I see that. I suppose. Um, yeah, you'd have, have to have a lot more cards and probably increase setup time, maybe, mm-hmm. to shuffle all of them into the deck. Um, so I played using the, which I had open on a web page, and I don't seem to anymore. I'll send you the link afterwards. Um, I think it's the the ghost variant. Mm-hmm. Um, which is posted on BGG. There are two variants on there. One was um, this ghost variant, and one was by Solo Play. Yeah. Um, I have encountered Solo Play rules for other games in the past, and I know I don't get on with his rules. Um, a lot of people do, and that's great. I find for me, they tend to change the core gameplay a lot. Um, they're also always very long, verbose, um, and complex. Yeah, so, I, I, I've had a look at these. I haven't, I haven't used them, but definitely um, skimming through it, it looks as if he's making substantial adjustments to. How yeah, I think that's that's fairly normal for for his approach to designing solo versions of games on BGG, and the, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I say a lot of people um, like his variants, and I think at one point when solo games, when most board games didn't come with solo rules quite so often. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was a perfectly valid approach, and that's possibly why he had so many fans at one point. That a lot of he was one of the most prolific solo game variant designers on, sure. on board game geek. Um, the the ghost rules, um, I basically guess, are a, a timer. Yeah, I, I got the impression that it, effectively your opposition is running around the track on, yeah. on rails, effectively. Yeah, it's going to move a set number of spaces each turn, and the game's going to end after ter- twenty turns. Mm-hmm. Um, the I noticed in the thread there somebody said, "I are, are you are you sure about the difficulty?" So I lapped the the <laughs> AI. Yeah. Um, and the reply was, "Oh well, I suppose that's possible if you had the exact right combination of cards come out." Um, my first game I lapped the AI. <laughs> sure enough, okay, you know there were some some powerful cards in there, so I thought, "Oh, maybe this is um." Yeah, just a, just a bit of luck, beginner's luck. Who knows? Um, the second game I played, I didn't lap the AI, but I came very close to it. I think I was one turn off lapping the AI, mm-hmm. and that was with a completely different set of um, of powers that were built into it. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't recommend the game for for solo play. Um, yeah. But I can see the fun of it. It's a, basically a deck building race game. Um, the different powers that come out do give you the opportunities to to lean into different strategies. Um, yeah, there, there are definitely some way where you have to say uh, there's one where, where it's if you've got the most of this particular cube out of all the players, yeah, uh, yeah you have to go for that fairly hard and fairly early and, and discourage yeah, people. Yeah, which obviously, um, obviously, you don't get at all in the solo playing mm. it solo. 
yeah, I, I can't really see how one could make a silo mode that actually, you know, built up currency and bought cubes. I, I think it would be just too, too fiddly. Which is yeah, a shame. I think so. I think so. Um, so yeah, I, I can't recommend it as a solo game. Um, but I, I say I can, I can see the fun of it. Um, it's a, a good fun racing deck builder, basically. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I should say bag builder, but. Yeah, to but, me, it felt exactly the same. It's doing exactly the same job. Yeah, functionally, though, though, I mean, you you could print cards. Oh, that I, yeah. I might even do it sometime if I can find a sufficiently cheap card printer, um, which could help to solve the uh, colorblind friendliness problem. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's is it a gimmick? Perhaps is it just maybe a way of making making the game a bit cheaper, so you have a bunch of wooden cubes rather than a bunch of cards? It's, I mean, that's a good question. Wooden components are a lot more expensive than cards. Mm. Yeah, you're you're much closer to the production side of games than I am. I, I, it would be probably a couple of hundred cards, but yeah. you've got yeah, maybe a couple of hundred cubes. So yeah, yeah, I don't know, um, but no, it's, I'm I'm glad I've had the opportunity to play it anyway. It's um, I I, th- I think it's a, it's a more straightforward game perhaps than Trains. From what I remember of playing Trains several years ago, yeah. Um... I've played it once, and it felt like Deck Builder Plus. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I know we... Standard Deck Builder things, your standard rubbish cards that you get for doing stuff and so on. And then here is this extra bit where you use stuff, one of the things you generate from the deck building to do this root building. Yeah. Um, I know we discussed last time that, you know, apart from being launched in the same series by AEG, apart from marketing, that they've really got very little to do with each other. Um, yeah, this doesn't even share a designer, so. No, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if, yeah, if you hate one, you may not hate the other and vice versa. So. Exactly, exactly. No, thank you very much for sending it over. So I'm glad I've had the, the chance to play it. It's, uh, it's a fun little game. Yeah, it's, it's probably one to try in person when in person can happen again. It, it could be something, yeah, when, um, when this is all over, as we keep saying. <laughs> uh, maybe the next time we have a one player get together, we can try it mm-hmm. out. And uh, you sent me the uh, substantial box of a- <laughs> of uh, Apex Theropod. Ma- made more substantial when I had to try and package it up in flat packing flat packing waste when I had no box it would fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, do, I don't these days. I have my copy of Firefly in in, in a plastic crate, so I couldn't compare weights mm. directly. But it's yeah, I mean. It, it, Basically, what we have here is a large box that is packed full of cards. So, yeah, it's going to be heavy. Yeah, um, especially when they're all sleeved. Mm. Well, it doesn't doesn't add that much weight, but yeah, I, I had a well, good time. A few, with this. few hundred sleeves definitely had weight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a good time with this, and I did very badly, um, which I okay. think is probably a good sign. Uh, yeah, if you have a fun, even when you're losing. At the end of each game, I could say, "Okay, uh, I'm pretty sure I lost because I did that." Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, ne- next time I will do it differently. I, th- I think a lot of it is, and in, in a single game, you don't necessarily see a whole lot of what's in the box, which is fair enough. And if, yeah. if you did, it might yeah. be a very long game. I mean, you're, you're picking one um, dinosaur to play. You're picking mm-hmm. one boss that, that they've got their standard set, and you, you know, twenty or so out of the hunt cards. Yeah, and certainly the second game I played felt quite different from the first because I changed everything mm-hmm. up just to see what would happen. 
Yeah. Uh, the, 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 a while back we talked about Maiden's Quest and mm. there was a thing in there that re- reminded me, uh, the, the way a, a lot of deck builders, something like Star Realms I've played quite a bit, uh, you basically, most of the time you can accumulate damage. You, you don't have a single big enemy that you yeah. have to hit all at once. This you do in the boss fights. Mm. If you want to win the game, you need to do whatever it was, 12 points of damage from from your six card hand. Yeah. And that that in turn means yeah, there are always Well from your from your deck, I think. Well you you, if, you keep going until you until you can't draw any more cards. Oh, okay. I may have misread that. <laughs> <laughs> Make life a lot easier for you. I, I certainly got the impression that uh, it, it was supposed to be from your hand plus what you could use from Yeah, your hand. no, sorry, yeah we might be talking about slightly different things here. So you you have the damage from your hand will be whether or not you inflict a wound on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it will say, won't it? So you'll draw a wound to put under the, the boss, and then either you'll keep going or you won't, depending on whether or not you've done that. Sure. And some, some yeah. of the bosses are simpler than others anyway, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the thing that, that that caused me to think, and, and certainly the reason I lost the first game was, yeah, I, I was lo- looking at this thing and thinking, yeah, I've, I've, I've got these carcass cards that are in my starting deck, and mm. if I don't spend the evolve points from those... Then I've just lost them, and, and mm. you know, the card will come round again anyway, whether I spend it or not. Side by side, buy something. But no, what I need is a high proportion of the damage dealing cards, and think yeah. quite carefully about the others. And yeah, the, the, this this is a game that I, I think it would take a deep dive on to get competent at, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could see, I could definitely see enjoying that. Yeah, I think that perhaps that's perhaps that's quite true. Um, I'm, I'm just. I've owned the game, as we mentioned last last episode. I've owned the game for for several years now, so I'm trying to remember when I first got it. Um, I would have played it a lot of times, um, if not back to back, and certainly a lot of times in fairly short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I play it less often now, um, but I've built up that sort of uh, understanding of it. And it, it's strangely, strangely. Um spread out theme. I mean, on the one level you're hunting an individual animal or a pack of individual animals, and at the other mm. end you're, you're improving your entire species, and that's... Yes. <laughs> I think it's a rule dinosaur games have to include evolution, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that, 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 that was a bit disjointed. The, the, the thing I did, did like, uh, the art is not particularly an art style I enjoy, but it's very mm. atmospheric. Yeah. And it's very consistent, because so. it's the same guy doing it all. Yeah, who is, I think, the same guy that designed the game. I think it's yes. art, art and design. Yeah, same, same um, credit, certainly. Yeah, and I think I think you're right that he did a very good job with the art. Um, although, I think, I mean, but it's partly related to um, when it first came out, I think. But I, I'd prefer to see more feathers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's who's not listening to the Terrible Lizards podcast, uh, you really should be. Uh, but the the other thing, I mean, I I like to think of myself as not particularly distracted by the fribbles, but I am lying to myself. And good, good art does make a difference to me. Not not in terms of whether I think it's a good game or not, but in terms of how much I enjoy playing it. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, you know, especially in this day and age when there's so many, you know, there's a wide choice of games. If you're going to be spending your time with it, it's one, you want it to be something you can enjoy. And the thing that really threw me on Terraforming Mars, for example, I, mean, I, I have arguments with the gameplay, but it's 
this bit of art is like this and this bit of art is not only by a different artist but in a completely different style. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, consistency goes a long way. So, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not sure I could buy it at this point. I, I, I get the impression there is now a retail version. I would expect so. So the collector's edition um, was the the latest version of it. Um, mm. It shipped to, shipped to Kickstarter backers in January in this country. So presumably um, there's going to be something out there at some point. You would think that you would think that if there isn't anything at retail right now, then there should be shortly. Um, certainly, it's probably more easily available now than it has been um, for a long time. Yeah, to to me, as someone who owns quite a lot of games and tends to play them once or twice and then go on to the next thing, and then mm. then come back, you know, a year or two later, um, I, I think it would it would be it would be much more rewarding if one dug into it deeply, which. Yeah. I mean, so on, on the one hand, I assume it's fairly expensive given the number of cards. On the other hand, if you play it intensively, mm. you're not buying other games. So yeah, I think that's yeah, you know, that's a, probably a, a fair criticism to make of um, of any of these games that have a, a large card pool with X number of expansions. Yeah, and certainly you, seeing the thing um, all, all in one box as, as it arrived, uh, I, I think there a lot of value would would be in the variation. Um, mm. As you as you work through, I, mean, I, I could you know, the, the the solo challenges are just write themselves. You know, win win with every dinosaur, win with every dinosaur with a handicap, yeah. and, and so on. Uh, win against every boss. <laughs> and that 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 alone gives you a combinatorial explosion of you know what sixty odd games, something like that. I would think so. Yeah, as you say, every every player deck against every boss is um, you know that. You know, the maths of that I can't do, that, but and there's a lot of combinations. At least the ones I played, there was a lot of variation between them. So yeah, yeah. Not not a game I'm going to get into, but a game I really enjoyed. And, I, and thank you for good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so that is Apex Theropod. So, Christoph, thanks very much for for joining us. Um, yeah, no worries. For, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Christoph. Maybe some of you know me as the the owner of Meeple's Corner. We are um, a board game shop down here in Devon. Exactly, it's a credit near Exeter. Mm-hmm. We've been um, in the last few years at the UK Games Expo. That's where most of the board game people met us and talked to us so maybe some of you know me i think that was where we first met wasn't it um at the pegasus spieler stand yeah a few years ago now you helped and then you stayed in contact and we we talked and i think you also stayed in contact with sam yeah yeah that's right who's redoing your website i think yeah we we finished it last last lockdown Okay, <laughs> and it's lockdown. My... Really, we invited you on to to talk about. I thought it would be interesting. Um, and when we've heard so much, um, the last twelve months, so, and it uh, it's twelve months this week, I think, since the first lockdown started in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. It was fifteenth of March they announced it, or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of people have been you know gradually scaling things back before then, but 
That was what it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, um, I, I didn't go to Aircon that weekend, which was the last weekend before it was booked. That was the sort of the first thing I cancelled. Yeah. Um, I, I did. I probably shouldn't have, but yeah. <laughs> you survived. Yeah. Um, but that was really what we wanted to, to talk to you about, Christoph, while we invited you on. I think we've, although we've heard a lot about, um, lockdown and how difficult it's been, um, one of the many, I guess, hidden stories of lockdown has been how it's affected board game retail. Um, I think there's a, an assumption that although, um, although it's, although the hobby itself has had to change for a lot of people in the last year, there's, you know, there's been more online gaming, more solo gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, that it might have been good for board game retailers, but that hasn't been the case for you necessarily, has it? I, I saw something a few weeks ago, I think, where you'd had to take a second job. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, second job in this case was me uh, doing the homeschooling for my kids. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, that was for me the main problem with all the lockdown going on. Mm-hmm. That the kids have been home with us for most of the time, and even right. most of the days. Um, in my shop, we basically turned the gaming area into a homeschooling uh, area for them with two mm-hmm. desks where they could sit and do their stuff. And that was, for me, the main limitation that I just didn't have enough time to get everything done I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, that's something yeah. that's um, going to be familiar for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, yeah. and that It's was... been very strange seeing people saying, now I'm working from home, I don't have the commute anymore, I'm getting this done and this done, and yeah, I was already working from home. So, <laughs> yeah. So what are the, you know, the, the, the good points, the bad points? What How's life been for... One of the, the problems, um, mm-hmm. first, first lockdown, um, most of the distributors, they just stopped releasing games because they didn't want to disadvantage the shops that had to close and wanted to push right. everything online. Mm-hmm. So there was the first lockdown. There was nothing coming out for six, seven, mm. eight weeks, which was major pain. So I just ended up trying to sell my old stock in any way possible. Yeah. And um, yeah, and now it's, back to having regular releases but because of all the shipping problems and the ports are still clocked up mm-hmm. there's still barely anything coming in this week it was three three new games where it's normally around 20 new games right yeah yeah i mean that's um that's something else as well of um perhaps one of the unforeseen effects of covid was the the port closures just before christmas which happened to coincide of course with brexit and um <laughs> yeah yeah well, let, let's not be put more political than we have to be but obviously people <laughs> who, are try- to, who are trying to take advantage of the situation are taking advantage of the situation yeah <laughs> so is that um just new releases that were delayed or did you have trouble um getting stock of existing games during the early part um, as well it's there's a lot of um games that are now coming in in fairly limited stock mm-hmm. so especially before christmas there were a lot of games that were basically available for one day from the distributor and then they're gone and they've never reappeared because i think what a lot of publishers did before christmas they tried to get a small amount of stuff into the shops and mm-hmm. then the idea was that once shipping and everything was solved they would ship the rest of the print run over and, and get mm-hmm. it into the shops. But because the delays are still still in place, there's 
some games that still not available or not not yeah. in the numbers you would would expect. Yeah, it hasn't gone back as gone back to normal as it were as quickly as people expected. Yeah. I think um I talked to some people at Asmodee about it because I said if is it because of lockdown that you're holding back stock or um is there other problems and said no it's still still the shipping and um they're now hoping that end of March it will go slightly back to normal because now at the moment ports have a chance to catch up because of Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's not much new coming, so they have a, a window of a few weeks where they can catch up and then when delivery is starting to come in and hopefully it's it's more norm back to normal. First time yeah. I've heard of Chinese New Year being good for board gamers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully yeah. Uh... Yeah, hopefully um, something can help it reset a bit. So, um, I mean, you've, it's interesting, I think, we always hear about the difference between online game stores and um, the, the friendly local game stores and how people or publishers might try to um, to help them. But you, of course, straddle both worlds, don't you? Yeah, well, I, I started online and then the, mm. the local part grew bigger and bigger. And um, I think 2009, half a year before everything started, I moved into a larger shop at the high street here in credit and we had mm-hmm. we had a kickstarter to to get the shop going with the games library and all sorts of things yeah and, i remember um, that it worked really well and then suddenly last march we had to shut down everything and now for for over a year basically the shop is just a large storeroom but there's not mm. not much else going on because you can't even in the times when we were open there's no events going on. There's no demo area in the shop. So all the stuff you would normally do in a games shop and which is the advantage compared to online, that's yeah. all not mm. possible at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a very local retailer, but there's one about an hour's drive away. And the reason I keep going back to them, A, a they're nice people, but B, I can ask them, okay, you know, You've actually looked at this game. You've you've probably played this game, and you know me. Yeah. So they, yeah, they they can give me that that direct advice rather than just reading a review or whatever. So and, yeah. and they they also have large gaming space. They they moved to a larger one a few years ago. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. I, I use the the game nights we have. It's not just to to get customers in the shop and, and have a good night. It's also for me to, to play a game, to see how people react to the games. And then that's something I can use the week later. If someone comes in the shop, I can tell him. So last Friday we had this game and it was a blast and everybody enjoyed it. And we can talk about it and I can bring him the copy and, and that's all stuff that's just not possible at the moment. And mm. I think it's also a problem that for for smaller publishers like a game like the small island we talked before we started recording it's something yeah. normally if i know it's a good game and there's someone coming mm-hmm. in and i can show him the game explain it to him and then he doesn't look on board game geek at that moment he just looks at the game thinks about it if he likes it or not and then he buys it and that's not possible at the moment so especially i think for smaller publishers it's it's a hard time to even get in the shop if someone contacts me at the moment and says here i have this in this game and i go online and i can't find anything about it then 
unfortunately, I have yeah. to tell him, sorry, I can't stock it at the moment because I have to keep my money together and, and, and see how mm. long this is all going. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's it's it's. A weird so I mean, time. obviously, you've had uh, a you know a big transition to to sales online, and there's sort of been a a shift in the way you approach that, has there? Um, it's mainly um that we try to to update the website, which we did during mm. the first lockdown. So whenever I had time i was working on it in a background and then finally in, in i think july august the new website went online and that made a lot of things easier um mm. it's not so much that my way we're doing online has changed it's just the focus at the moment is purely on the online and yeah. the shop here is basically just a like a argos counter people come and i place this in this <laughs> order can i please connect it so that's the that's the big change. At the beginning, um, we tried to to do stuff online to keep the community a bit together. We had online mm. game nights on our Discord server. I did um, free shipping for people from Devon. So instead of coming to the shop, they could order um, online mm -hmm. and had not to pay for shipping. So we tried lots and lots of stuff to keep the community working and, and stay in touch. But the longer the longer it all goes on, the harder it gets. I think it'd be familiar to anybody that's got a local game group that that's, that's kind of story of things starting off with enthusiasm for online gaming nights and it just sort of dissipating over time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I is, that more, is that more or less what you were going to say, Roger? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking my, my own gaming has gradually shifted from, yes, let's try to keep this group together to, okay, this is now effectively an online group. And mm. for myself, at least, I, it, it's probably welcome from, from my wife's point of view that I, I'm buying just a lot fewer games because <laughs> if, I, if I'm playing it on BGA, I don't need a copy. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. yeah I, there, there are a couple I've got because I've played them online um, be, because I'm definitely going to want to play these in person when it's possible again. But uh, there are an awful lot more that I'm just trying. That, you know, in, in normal times, I might say, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I'll buy it. And now, now I'm saying, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you think that kind of shift to people playing games online has affected sales, Christoph, from, from your perspective? I don't know if it's really the, the, the online playing that will change things because there's so many people who play board games because they like the physical aspect of, of playing board games and also the social aspect. So mm. I think once mm -hmm. they have a chance, they will go back to it. It's just at the yeah. moment, it's a convenient way to do it. Um, mm. I think for me, the, the, the more recognizable shift is that there's a lot less of the complex games Mm -hmm. people buying less complex games it's more the the lightweight medium weight games you can easily play with your family yeah that makes and, sense and also more solo and two player games but it it comes all down to the fact that we haven't been able to meet with our friends and our groups for for months now yeah. and so that where where's the point in buying the the 60 pound game i can only play with my friends who in into mm. the same theme or same level of complexity as me if i put a game like game of thrones on the table my family looks at me and says you you're completely <laughs> crazy yeah, my, my my partner says any game that lasts longer than half an hour is a long game and she won't play it 
<laughs> yeah, it's, there's so much coming together at the moment. It's it's sitting down and taking the time for playing. It's sitting down, reading rules and everything. Mm. I there's so many games that interest me, but I just don't have the time and the energy to to prepare rules and everything. Yeah. So even if we play weekly on Board Game Arena. And it's mostly games we already know and everybody can just start playing without having to think about new rules and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite quite often I'm the game explainer for, for the local groups and that I, I agree there's been, there's been less tendency for people to say, yeah, find find us something new and bring us along. Just, okay, let, let's play this thing we played last time that we know. Yeah, yeah. I think some of that's stress as well, you know. They've had a, had a hard day at work and then you don't want don't, particularly want to go and learn a new thing as opposed to a weekend gaming session or a game convention or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, learning games is difficult online as well. Um, More difficult than in person. Mm. Um, And and certainly you need even something like board game arena that takes care of the rules for you. You need to have at least one player that needs that knows how to play it beforehand just to talk people through. Definitely helps. Yeah. 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 That's true. And also, there's different levels of uh, yeah entry levels to online playing. At, at the beginning, we we tried a lot of stuff on tabletop simulator, but then mm-hmm. the number of people who really have access to to Steam or, or, or computer at home who can run um, tabletop simulator is also not very high. So you you try something else, and then you always have problems with technology. And in the end, I think it looks like Board Game Arena and stuff. That's the the lowest nominator everybody can can mm. run, and you have no problems at all. So you just think, need a web browser, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the other aspect. So once once we we are not yeah we're not uh, connected to the technology anymore, then people would be very happy to go back to normal because now with everybody working from home sitting in front of zoom the whole day i had a mm. lot of people just saying no i can't be bothered after i shut down the computer at six and at eight i turn it back on to play two hours board game yeah that's just mm. not for me at the moment i think that's fair enough I mean, as you know christoph i've always played solo board games and one reason that i play solo yeah. board games as opposed to video games is to get away from screens yeah 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 yeah, I mean, it's interesting when I mean, you're talking about um, you know the, the social groups and the meetups and those kind of things. There's, there's a note of sadness that comes into your voice about seeing friends, and I guess I mean Meeple's Corner. It's it might surprise some people in the UK to know it's basically just you that they're that's they're running it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's just the one man business from from yeah. the start because it's just so if you've got no. Um, if you've got no customers coming into the shop and you're not seeing your regulars, then it's just yeah. you there. It's fairly, fairly lonely life, yeah. But at least with the homeschooling, I had my my kids in here, so that was uh, yeah, that was quite good. Have you managed to to get any any sort of Meeple's Corner business into the curriculum? Um, they they're playing. <laughs> playing board games anyways and now with the the little one going to school it's also a nice way with accounting and everything once mm-hmm. they're they're interested in numbers board games is always a good way because there's no better way than learning numbers and everything than just play mm-hmm. a board game and see how far your meeple is moving no yeah 
I, I think one, one of the classic complaints is, you know, yes, I can learn to do this bit of maths, but what's the use of it? And the use of it is you can get to win the game. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then even at the end, counting the score and everything. So there's so much more you can do. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, that's a lot of stuff is, is connected to, to events and, and, um, game nights we also we, we normally we have in credit and twice a year we rent the town hall mm-hmm. and we have a board game day with 50 people which more and more was also a place where newer people were just popping in and having a look at the game mm-hmm. and don't mm-hmm. have the feeling you go into a shop and then you have the feeling i need to buy something yeah no, instead you can just turn up play a board game and if you go home without buying anything there's nothing to worry about yeah, so that's free all, Yeah, that's all the the aspect where you try to to grow the community and and get more people interested and build this kind of network. Mm. If you now have a if that's all disrupted for over a year, it will be interesting to see in what shape and and, and how big it will pick up afterwards. Yeah, I, I certainly know people who are very keen to get back to. Big conventions, small conventions, weekend yeah. meetups, and so on. On the other hand, maybe I'm just selecting the people I know who are still interested at all because they're the ones who are still talking about it. Yeah, that's that's the the small worry I have. You you certainly see enough people talking about it and making plans for what what what's going on when it's all starting to go back to normal. But you don't know how many people you've lost because they're not talking about it online anymore. Mm. I think sort of beyond that, I think there are wider issues that some people are going to want, they're going to rush to return to what they think of as normal and they're going to be getting out and doing all the things they've been waiting for. Whereas um, some other people will still be cautious and they'll be cautious for a long time. It's going to have lasting effects. Yeah. And and I notice it for myself. It's mm. It's now up to the point where if I would just think about that, I suddenly have 10 people here in the shop, I'd don't think I would feel very comfortable about it because yeah. you always have this nagging feeling and, and that it could be dangerous. So I think it will be mm-hmm. will be interesting to see how quickly we can adapt to to everything yeah. being normal again. I think that probably will come back. I mean, yeah, people have got twenty, forty, fifty years experience of yeah. normal. So yeah. I, th- I think it will return. I, but yeah, I think it, it will. It, I think it's, it's just a question a of how quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's interesting some now. Will adapt more quickly than others. Yeah, it will be interesting to see um, what happens to the large and smaller conventions in in autumn if they really took place, and then how many people will come, how is the atmosphere there, and that will be will be a test for next year, and I think, and 2022 will be probably the year when it really goes back to normal well, yeah, yeah the latest, yeah, latest right. i've heard as as we're recording is that expo are not going to make a decision until the end of this month and yeah. they're talking about their socially distanced thing and i the idea of I, people paying more to exhibit to fewer people i don't see it working well well also the way that they've spoken about that i i, I find um yeah the the idea i think you know there are things that they've talked about that make sense like wider walkways between stands 
But then they've also talked about two metre social distancing for demonstrating board games. And I don't see how that works at all. Hmm. Yeah. And it's also with the UK Games Expo, you you have to think about it. It's a very international expo. I'm not sure how much, how large a part of the exhibitors are coming from from abroad. There's a lot of American publishers. There's a lot of Mm. European publishers. And I'm not too sure that they are too keen to travel to the UK for, for a weekend for a board game convention. Yeah. So, and then, and then you're stuck with how many, how much of the space can you fill with just exhibitors from the UK? And uh, yeah, I'm not. And I'm not at sure. my point, there's a danger, I suppose, that it, um, it damages their brand. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't want to be rattling around in uh, one of the huge NEC halls. With just not enough people. Yeah. Selling, so. No. Yeah. I mean, I do think UKG is going to go ahead this year, but um, they'll, they'll do something. Yeah. 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 It may well be the digital thing again. I, I was looking at the vaccination yeah. schedule, and if they've only just got round to me by then, then most of the people who would be there will still not have been doing it. So. Hmm. Well, there is. Um, was it not meant to be August rather than June? Hmm. It moved yeah, to, yeah, but the, moved the latest I, I was seeing was sort of July, August for my second shot, and I'm over 50. Oh, so. I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll see how things go. It may, it may work better. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it will, will, be, will be interesting. For me, the next next interesting date is, is uh, I think at the moment, it's 12th of April when the shops are allowed to open again. Mm-hmm. That. It's something I'm I'm looking forward to, and then mm. we can see if there's um, anything planned from the publishers because or distributors. Because last year it was quite really great that uh, distributors like Asmodee or Cold Spring, when the reopening of the shops was announced, they supported us with promo material. They mm-hmm. sent boxes of free games we could use for raffles or I set up right. a loyalty card scheme and stuff like this so that was really 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 good yeah what sort of preparations are you making for, for reopening um it's just mostly at the moment because i haven't set up anything in the shop i'm just getting everything tidied up again sort the stock turning it back more. into a shop yeah and just <laughs> sorting all the the stock because mm-hmm. I I normally have them in the shelves a bit sorted like seams or, or now I have a whole shelf with co-op games. They were quite popular whenever the shops were open mm. because co- cooperative games are a lot easier to play as a family. Um, so yeah. just getting everything presentation-wise in place, doing stuff like um, I did for Christmas with the gift cards, and this time it will be loyalty cards where I have a new shelf with games you can choose from. So the, mm-hmm. the way it works, basically, you, you whenever you spend money, you get a sticker for £10 you spend, and once your card is full, you can trade in the card for a free game from, mm-hmm. from the shelf. And um, so stuff like this, and then just check what the guidelines are what we have to do to to keep it all safe for the distance how many yeah. people can come in so I mean, I that's got to be the big one hasn't it yeah just renew all the the posters we, i've put up and the stickers on the floor and all sorts of things yeah the the long 
long walk to when you can eventually get back to having demos in the shop and that kind of thing when it will really get back to normal yeah one one thing i'm i'm talking about with my landlord at the moment we have a large garden at the back of the shop which is normally Mm -hmm. not used at all and i i'm talking to him and seeing if maybe if the weather is is nice in april may that we can do something outside in the garden putting up a few tables there so people can sit in the garden and play a bit so pop up tent or something like that maybe yeah so there there is ways around it as long as you you know it's not a thing where two weeks later we we have to close down again yeah you can you can put a bit of effort in it and and if 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 it's something i can do in the garden for three four months then i'm happy to Mm. invest a bit but if there's a risk that three weeks later you have to put everything back into storage then Mm. i mean that's something we haven't really yeah that's something we haven't really talked about directly the sort of um the continuing changing of um what you've been allowed to do i mean that must have been draining over the last year yeah, it depends. As 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 long as you you have enough time to prepare, it's it's okay. But if yeah. something happens like that after Christmas, or you have before Christmas, everything is fine, and we can have yeah. a happy Christmas, everybody. And then in January we go back to school, and everything is, is back to normal. And suddenly, within days, the whole country gets shut down. That's that's the thing that that really hurts but as long as you can prepare and you can plan ahead and you can work with everything mm. it's just um, sometimes it happens that you can't plan for it and then and you have to be quick on your feet and get it sorted yeah and what's um I mean, we've talked about stock delays we've talked about um changing regulations and difficulties of um of having to homeschool your kids at the same time as well what's what's been the worst point of of lockdown for for you and for meeple's corner if if it isn't one of the things we've already talked about i think at the beginning the 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 one that makes you a bit depressed is that especially for me i had put so much effort into it Mm. and and get the shop going and set up we had the kickstarter and it was really ticking along nicely and January, February, March last year after the first Christmas in the shop was really good for us and we had busy game mm-hmm. nights and people enjoyed it and coming in in, in in bigger numbers every time and we had kids playing Pokemon and everything and then from one day to the other it's all gone and, and you start yeah. wondering will it come back and and, and then you mm-hmm. have days where even online not much is going on so it's it's mm-hmm constant sitting there and, and just yeah thinking about what what you can do to keep it all going no you did try different things through the year to keep it going didn't you i mean i remember you doing um stock updates on youtube and lots of different things yeah you i did i started doing um i bought a bit of equipment so i can do um recordings here in the shop do some weekly news show where i can talk mm. about the what's coming in and all sorts of bit having a bit of an online platform where you can do stuff you would normally do in the shop and, and just keep people in touch, which I just had to, to stop because with all the homeschooling and everything going on, there was no time, but hopefully now the kids back in school, I can, can start it again. There is, there's some possibilities you have with technology nowadays. You can do streams, mm. you can do YouTube videos, 
where you can try out new things. I have my weekly auction on um, Facebook where I, Friday to Monday I run a weekly board game auction with demo copies I can't use at the moment so people right. can make a small bargain and, and go online and buy a demo copy if they don't mind. So there's things you can do and uh, mm. and yeah, we I made it through the year so hopefully the next couple of months shouldn't be a problem and then we can can look ahead and see how everything goes goes back to normal hopefully. Well, let's hope um let's hope we all go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> or better, dash it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but 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 just out of interest for me, what is what you are expecting when you when you are allowed to go back into the shops? What are you you looking for in a shop compared to to what you do at the moment online? Um, Roger's probably the person to answer this. He spends um, a lot more time in uh, <laughs> local game stores than I do. Well, not 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 a lot, but um, yeah, we probably ought, ought, ought to get. Uh... Darren Becky on at some point, but anyway, as I was saying before, the reason I go there is because it's they they know the games better than Random Internet Storefront does, and they know me better than Random Internet Storefront does. Yeah, uh, the combination of the two, and they they can start saying, "Yeah, all right, this is a game you ought to look at." Out of the however many new ones have come in this week, hmm. yeah, that's true. And I suppose that's the the point, isn't it? That no matter. You know, what the new technology is, what the other extra efforts you put in online, um, that, that, those reasons for going to a, you know, a real actual <laughs> physical location aren't going to change. Those aren't, those are sort of irreplaceable things, aren't they? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's another thing I've noticed, um, with the, the shop getting more and more popular. You, it's not just, me as a shop owner who can talk to people coming in it's also if you mm. have a couple of people in the shop browsing and and someone picks up someone else asking me about a game then they chime in and talk yeah that's a game i played last week and it's really nice what what else are you normally playing and maybe i can help you a bit and then they suddenly um sit down at the table and start talking to each other and you 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 have this kind of network that works together and and makes it all a nicer experience than just sitting there and, and quickly go on board game geek and check what's out and then yeah and i think that must i'd expect that's one of the things that you missed most as i alluded to earlier yeah it's just just the the contact and getting the the feedback by talking to people it's not just a more or less lifeless email you send out it's it's actually talking to people you get the reaction you have people coming back a week later and say and, and thank you very much for for last week's recommendation mm. that was really good or or saying that nah, that wasn't wasn't fast it was a good game so, so it's 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 a yeah learning experience and, and that's the fun of it you 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 get to know your customers better with each time they come to your shop and, and, and you can help them and you get the immediate feedback and that's something um, I don't get when I do the online business. I'm, I'm yeah. sitting here packing parcels. I deliver them and um, 
it's more now with the lockdown that people actually get in contact. And, and I had a few emails, especially after the first lockdown, where people were saying a big, big thank you for what you did during lockdown mm. because we were stuck here at home. And, and when we got a parcel, that was, was our highlight of the day. And it was really, really good for us. So, but that's quite rare. Whereas in, in a normal shop, it ha- happens so often that people come in and you talk to them and, so yeah. that's that's really nice, and hopefully we get it all back soon. Um, so anything else that you want to, to ask, Roger? I'm aware we're we're starting to get up towards the time. I think we've pretty much covered things. Uh, oh, okay. one thing does. Uh, this is a bit off topic, so so yep. we, we, we no might worries. we might cut it. But um, you you go to Expo. Um, my my experience as a game purchaser at Expo is people have board game prices on their phones and. Anybody who isn't matching the lowest price on whatever the popular game is isn't getting sales. So, what? What? I presume that you, you find it worth going to Expo. What, what is it worth going to Expo for? Um, I've been. We started Expo when it was still back in the um, in the hotel. Mm-hmm. So we've been twice in the hotel, and then they moved into the NEC. And for us, it was mostly the thing I wanted to get out there and um, instead of spending money for advertising online, I think I, I spent money for the expo. I can go there. It's like, for me, it's like a business trip where I can um, do a bit of research and we do sales. And if people notice us and come back to the website afterwards, then it's, it's worth the money. Um, the only problem now, now is that, the expo is so big the 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 cost factor is getting bigger and bigger sure. and now the point comes where what you say you you really have to think about is it still worth going there or do you spend more money than you get in and indeed it's it's a it's a big problem now that it's not just the online it's just the fact that every major uk retailer is now at the expo and you just don't even need your phone. You can just go from one stand to the other, yeah. quickly check the prices, mm. and on the way out, you pick it up where it's the cheapest. Mm. And that's why you see stuff like last year happening where on a Friday afternoon, people already start putting up posters with discounts on them because yeah. yeah. they just want to sell stuff and don't want to take it home on a Sunday anymore. Mm. So, yeah. So that's that's the point for me where... um uh, last year there was no expo, so I didn't have to make the decision. But uh, if the expo comes back, I have to to really go through the number and see if it stays. Sure. For me, also we we only the first year we did the expo on our own, and then from the second year mm-hmm. on we worked together with Pegasus. Yeah. So we always had the backdrop that people were coming to us because they wanted to buy Pegasus games which you couldn't buy anywhere else. But if if that wouldn't have been, then I had to sit down fairly early and see if it was still working. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we go? Um, I just have a quick look at my notes, but I think we, we covered everything I was thinking of beforehand. And Good. Yeah. And where can, um, where can people get in, get in touch with you? Obviously, meeplescorner.co.uk. Yeah, I'm I'm on Facebook. You can always send me a message on Facebook if there's any questions. I do regular posts on on Twitter. You can send me a message there and 
we also have uh, if you're local and you you haven't joined us yet we have a facebook group for our game night so you can always join us there and then once we are back we're, we're running weekly game nights at the shop and twice a year mm -hmm. we have a big game day here in crediton excellent so yeah and thank you very much for having me thank you very much for joining us So that was more games than time. And we'll be back next month with uh, more games we've played and what we, what we thought of each other's games. Hopefully good. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us, everyone. <laughs>